You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Well, hey, friends, this is Creek. This is a really unique episode with our friend Kevin Smith, uh, who is a brilliant, wonderful human being um, that we've all had a chance to interact with on some level. Um, but most of the time, we are interacting with him uh, via Marco Polo. Yes, kids, we are on the apps. And uh, <laughs> we uh, most of the time, Kevin is spouting his 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 brilliance uh, as as he is reclined on his couch. So we are dubbing uh, these episodes with Kevin as Kevin on the couch uh, because we just let him go. And y- you may follow him, you may not, but that's the fun. You may not. That's the fun part. I yeah. love it. Yes, so, so much. We we called him up because we really wanted him to unpack for us a little bit more about this mysterious figure named George Gurdjieff. Uh, a quick a quick little bio of Gurdjieff. He was uh, he's generally known as the forefather of the Enneagram, um, but he lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and he was born in Kars, which is actually in modern-day Turkey. He traveled around frequently, uh, teaching in lots of different places around the world and even some time in the U.S. But he ended up uh, in Paris, where he actually developed a school called the Institute for Harmonious Development of Man. That is a name right there. That is, yeah. They don't name schools like that anymore, do they? (laughs) They don't. (laughs) No, uh, Creek, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it, it took us to some places that a lot of Enneagram conversations don't go, um, which also means that uh, Kevin mentioned some things in passing that probably are worth us just kind of setting the stage for and setting up. So one of those things is uh, Kevin talks about this idea of fourth way or fourth way teachings. This is a uh, set of teachings that came from Gurdjieff, uh, for some, it's a spiritual path. For others, it's a philosophy of life. And you know, to many, it's some combination of the two. And we'll put some links to sh- in the show notes to some of these uh, things that he mentions. Um, but it's probably also worth noting that Gurdjieff was really eccentric, as you'll hear <laughs> in some of the stories <laughs> that Kevin shares. Eccentric figure, also pretty controversial uh, in, a, in a lot of different circles and just a really interesting, interesting guy to say the least. Mm-hmm. And uh, he developed some work with the Enneagram as it related to movement and even dancing, which Kevin will talk about. And he spent a lot of time working with what we now know as the three centers of intelligence, the head, heart, and gut. Kevin mentions this as he introduces um, what he calls the three paths that uh, kind of together comprise what will become the fourth way movement or fourth way teaching the fakir, the monk, and the yogi. And he'll talk more about those. Um, Also, you'll notice uh, that a common uh, voice on the podcast is absent from this episode. And not because we left him out, but Abram, you were not with us for this conversation. Do you want to explain why? I would love to explain why. I was uh, busier, busy, doing more important things, to be honest. Uh, We had (laughs) our third child, so Hooray! That was, yeah, that kept Are our each time. of your children in a different uh, set of intelligence. 
you know we're working towards finding that out still. We'll see. Yeah, okay. But there's potential there, I will say. <laughs> Interesting. Well, congratulations, friend. Yeah. Thank awesome. you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we just wanted to also say here, to finish up this intro, to to just sort of a, as a disclaimer, we are not probably nearly as well-versed in the teachings of, I will also say I've heard Gurdjieff's name uh, said 14 different ways. Gurdjieff. 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 Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I love... I, I like to say Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff, I don't know. So anyway, we're, we're, we're just going to be learning along with you guys, you know, as always, which is a really good thing. But, you know, just any disclaimer that we, we want to make with any guest is that this podcast, we really want to explore the Enneagram at its depths, uh, which means we really want to engage all sorts of ideas around the Enneagram. And so we may or may not get 100% behind everything that's said by each of the guests on the podcast, but that's okay. And so without further ado, here's our friend, Kevin on the couch. Well, hello again, everyone. It's good to have you with us. And I'm really excited about our conversation that we have today with our good friend, Kevin Smith. Uh, Creek, give me two to three words to describe Kevin. Oh, dear. Uh, infinite. <laughs> um, infinite. <laughs> a, a stinker. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh, that's a great word. <laughs> and uh, well balanced, <laughs> really, really ridiculously brilliant. Yes, that was more than three words. Uh, you I ended on a good note. Three, all of those. infinitely stinks. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a great intro. <laughs> so, Creek, uh, one of the things that I know we've talked about quite a bit. And he, uh, we've talked about a little bit on the podcast, but we've talked about a lot offline is the, uh, some of the origins of the Enneagram and how uh, in this current kind of surge and rise of popularity, uh, we have some kind of common footnotes of where this thing sort of came from, but there's not a, a really good or full understanding of uh, what those things were mm. and, and who, who are the forefathers, the foremothers of the Enneagram and uh, even why that's important to know. So um, it seems like a good time to begin to lean into that conversation. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I think though some people may resist uh, some of the origins, I think the deeper we look, the more we realize it's, um, it's a very expansive and inclusive system um, that yeah. isn't um, limited to one set of beliefs, isn't limited to one set of perspectives, um, but rather it draws you into the greater, the more expansive iteration of the perspective you already have. Yeah. So I, I think in this current kind of craze and obsession, we need to figure out a little bit more about where this thing came from and what it was originally used or intended for and see how that lines up with how most people use the Enneagram today. And if it doesn't line up, why? Yeah. Nice. So Kevin, uh, you know, given how, you know, the Enneagram is everywhere right now, um, from memes to listicles to, um, type specific socks and <laughs> underwear. I don't know if that exists, but it seems like it probably, probably. does. <laughs> 
We have type specific think. photography, so it's not a far stretch. <laughs> there, yeah, we've got all. I mean, man, there's so, <laughs> there's so much out there uh, that has the Enneagram kind of slapped on it. Um, some of it's good, some of it's not so good. Uh, a lot of people who have gotten into the Enneagram though have encountered this name, Gurdjieff, mm-hmm. or more specifically George, George Gurdjieff. And George uh, a lot Ivanovich Gurdjieff. There mm-hmm. we go. There we go. And uh, a very strong name, right? Mm. And he's, he's he's known as being this forefather of the Enneagram. A lot of people know that, but um, it seems like mostly just a footnote in most people's understanding of the Enneagram kind of origin story. And so I'm wondering if you could help us better understand who he was and why it's important for us to know about him and his work. Sure, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff is known as an as a type eight. So a strong name goes with a strong personality type for those familiar with the Enneagram of personality. Uh, but Gurdjieff, knowing who Gurdjieff is was difficult for those who knew him face to face because he was kind of a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Gurdjieff was not really presenting anything at face value. There was a an esoteric charm that went along with his personality from what those who knew him um, report. And so trying to nail down anything specifically about Gurdjieff can be difficult about his personality type because the man was known for being able to present himself with many masks. Um, He was rumored to be a magician. um, And that, and by magician, I don't just mean like a, you know, a kid's show magician. I mean a full-blown magi magician from the old school who could perform strange, unexplainable circumstances and not just perform things, but also like convince people of certain things. And and because of that, he got a bad reputation from certain groups that he was misleading or he was a cult leader or deceptive. Um, but Gurdjieff is, if, if from those who knew him well, would talk about what he believed and what he practiced, there's a certain trust that came from those who were around him that um, lent itself to hearing what he had to say and then following some of the principles and teachings that he had as well. But one of the misconceptions is that Gurdjieff brought the Enneagram forward and would know what we're talking about if he were able to sit down with us face to face now and talk about personality types. And that's just not true at all. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. Okay. And so just to place him in historical context, Gurdjieff uh, was born in the mid 1800s, as I understand, Mm -hmm. is that correct? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Died in the mid 1900s, and then you know, where was he from? Where did he do this work that you're talking about? He traveled. Him and his cohort Auspinsky um, traveled in different places looking for esoteric information. So, um, even where he was born has some gray area to it. But you know, we're talking about Russia and France, and then in New York, both of them had um, several trips that they took to these places or did work in places in Europe during World War II, World War I, I'm sorry, during World War I. And so a lot of the culture is reflected in the tensions, the cultural tensions of that day. And so when he talks about moving his work from one place to another, it was sometimes affected by the war that was going on um, in their areas. They would have to postpone things and and move to a different location. I mean, what was he trying to figure out? Was Was there an ultimate goal of his? I think... 
um, most people would understand consciousness to be what he was searching for, some some measure of enlightenment, some answer to a, a nagging question of what happens to us when we're not here on this planet anymore mm. after death, or why are we on this planet initially? So the age-old question of what's our purpose in life would be probably the, the driving undercurrent for both Gurdjieff and Ospinsky, um, that the illusion of life in front of us is kind of overtaken everything and we are just playing a game with one another that has no real purpose to it. So they were looking for something fulfilling, something that meant something to their existence and to their purpose beyond just living and dying. Mm. Mm. And that's where the Enneagram would come in on some level. Um, on some level, I suppose. The Enneagram, you know, if you, if you were to have the ability to travel back in time to Gurdjieff's day, you would find Gurdjieff using the Enneagram as a tool for dancing, not for personality. Mm. Um, we know it in America and South America and some other places, even France has some um, cultural exposure to the Enneagram of personality, which is not the same thing as the Enneagram. Mm. Uh, it is one application of the Enneagram among a limitless amount of applications for the Enneagram. Mm. So when people say Enneagram now, they, they think of it as synonymous with Enneagram of personality, but I, I would feel remiss to not point out that they are two separate things and that the Enneagram of personality would fit underneath the original Enneagram. The symbol looks the same, but the way it's used is vastly different. Uh, personality was just one thing that interested us, Spinsky and Gurdjieff, um, as they studied and taught and worked together. but. Uh, more importantly, it was more about observing the self. And so this gets a little bit into fourth way teachings um, that we can go into, you know, when you guys are ready. But Gurdjieff practiced these movements and dancing as a way to study the self and to observe what's going on in the human psyche within one's own consciousness. And so as you practice these movements, he called them, um, and he, he coupled these movements with music that he had composed himself and then played that music or had it played. And then the, the, the school that he was working with at the time would move according to the movements he would also dictate or demonstrate. And oftentimes these movements were just spontaneous. And so he would say it or do it and then the people would follow and those movements would change. And they would keep up or try or attempt to keep up. And in the process of exercising these dances or these movements that are in rhythm, many, many things can be seen about the individual. And the individual mm. is, is told or coached to pay attention to themselves in an objective way. So it removes judgment from whether you're doing it right or wrong. And to observe any emotion or reaction or correction or self-judgment that occurs because immediately we start to notice frustration if we can't get it right because mm. other people are getting it right and we're not. And then we start to try to correct. And initially, Gurdjieff and Ouspensky both taught. And Ouspensky was a bit like the scribe for Gurdjieff. Okay. Um, but Gurdjieff was big on what was called transmission. Uh, he didn't allow people to take notes. So when Ouspensky came in, and this is why I have so much respect for this man's mind, even before he met Gurdjieff, Ouspensky's work is incredible. Uh, but once he met Gurdjieff and Gurdjieff said, I don't want this you know, written down word for word. I want to transmit the information. I want you to encapsulate what has happened and then write it down wow. afterward. 
and Auspinsky mm. was able to accurately reflect Gurdjieff's teachings from memory, which is a feat that I think is just massively yeah. impressive. And so when these wow. movements were made, Auspinsky uh, encapsulated this teaching of um, self-observation and non-judgment for yourself. Whatever happens, allow it to happen and notice it without correcting it. Okay. And so where we would normally want to correct our action or correct our emotion or uh, fix what we see we're not complying with accurately. This idea that precedes that corrective action is that I am doing it wrong. And the information that comes from watching these emotions and reactions and responses is more valuable than the correction that we think we need to do immediately. Mm -hmm. And so students of Gurdjieff and Ospinsky were told initially for some time, don't correct the actions, don't judge the actions, just simply observe. Tra change nothing, observe everything was the motto. And along with this, that there were, there were just moments, very fractional moments of time that people are able to catch themselves and see themselves accurately. Hmm. They were encouraged to gather a mental photograph of each instant that they experienced and collect them into a photo, a, a photo album, basically, in your mind that you could reference back and compare the information that you got from certain incidences where you were able to just briefly wake up for a fraction of a moment and then start to, over time, accumulate enough information that you can start to notice patterns about yourself and then begin to do more work or deeper work uh, of which he said there was only a possibility mm. for waking up not a probability yeah that's fascinating. i really love that you're i i have my own photo album and it's of junior high drew at a junior high dance and it's it's not <laughs> that sophisticated <laughs> it's it's far more awkward um <laughs> no, but i really love that He's teaching through the body and teaching through experience yeah. versus now it's all cognitive. It's all just sure. westernized learning of sit in a classroom and just get pounded all day with information and information and information. Um, I think that's something that is dearly lost um, to the teaching of the Enneagram today, for sure. Yeah, and this, this idea of transmission that I'm coming back to again is an important thing to note about Gurdjieff because when people, when you read certain rumors about Gurdjieff, the ambiguity that comes along with his personality or his presentation or interactions, his interactions with other people is rooted into this idea that once you name something or label something or identify it, you, you can miscommunicate it to the hearer. And so what you see as being an accurate description of what you're trying to convey, hmm. the hearer misinterprets what you mean and a lot is lost between it um you know the drawback to transmission where you are in the presence of the teacher and the teacher is conveying who he is in being and practice to you and you're observing and soaking up all of this um, invisible energetic influence that we can't name or label the, the drawback to that is then rumors are made that you're some you know manipulator or um, that you're using it to your own advantage. And a deeper study of Kurjeev just reveals that that does not seem to be who he is as a person. Mm. This is perhaps a strange analogy, but have you all ever been, I don't know, walking outside past a shiny building and then caught your reflection in the mirror and not realized it was your reflection? 
Yes. <laughs> kind of jumped out of my skin at, at yeah. the side of my... Yeah, or just like... My strange oh, self. I mean, I remember coming through puberty and into adulthood and like going through life just, uh, yeah, you know, getting ready every morning and walking out the door. And then at some point, there's a, there was a particular moment actually in my mind where I looked at the mirror and all of a sudden I felt like I... I was seeing someone that I didn't realize I was. Yeah. Now I know exactly um, what you're talking about. Inside, I yeah. felt like a, a little child, but in the mirror, I saw a man. And that was quite stunning. Mm. <laughs> that sounds very conceited, yeah. but... <laughs> no, no, I get it. Yes. I, I, what I, I saw you. was quite stunning. <laughs> no, you are a stunning freak. <laughs> <laughs> in many many ways i um i found a different experience when i catch myself you know immediately i begin to uh, correct my posture or uh, facial expressions or my gestures whenever i catch that visual mm. of myself in a reflection um instantaneously i start to criticize me right and mm. that i'm supposed to conform to some cultural idea of what i'm supposed to look like or behave like oh for sure and uh it's a very negative experience for me so i i don't see myself as a child and then looking surprised by the man i see in the mirror it's kind of the opposite for me that i'm not i'm not living up to what i have held as my ideal or been told my ideal yeah. is supposed mm. to be yeah yeah that's a great example of the fourth way work yeah. Um, I've gone as far as to ask my friends to take random pictures of me when I don't know it and then show them to me so I can catch myself in those moments and postures. That explains the person uh, in the bushes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're asking for paparazzi. That's what you're doing. <laughs> it's that five egotism. Yes. <laughs> oh. I'm a celebrity so, in my own mind. <laughs> we assume we are the center. I mean, we are the center to our own story. So everyone else is paparazzi mm. in a lot of ways. Everyone else <laughs> oh, is man. looking at us, supposedly. <laughs> and we... <laughs> I hate how effective that analogy, <laughs> that illustration is. <laughs> Kevin, I'm sensing a joke coming on. I... No, no, I'm referring. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. I, yeah, I think I'm... you are. That's well, why. That's... <laughs> well, I'm also laughing out of... Um, out of agreement that there is yeah. a there that is strikingly true there is a an element to where consciousness and the self as we experience it is only tangible if you can even call it tangible mm. within my own body <laughs> and everything else is just a perception it's a perspective <laughs> yeah. and so i am projecting everything of my experience onto other people in my own psyche mm -hmm. and so in that sense everyone else is observing me and our recipients of my own interpretation of them right yeah and then you know you were doing the same thing to me as just another if i dare call it hologram <laughs> uh, of kevin that's presenting to you in your reality you know, oh this really makes me so happy stuff. yeah all right so help me take me back then to the the junior high dance that is gorgeous enneagram work <laughs> it's not fair to call it a junior high dance but I think the same things that you experience at a junior high dance would be similar to the emotions and frustrations that would pop up almost immediately in any dance that you're unfamiliar <laughs> with. The, the level of yeah. self-consciousness and questioning that occurs in junior high dances would be, uh, you know, really accurate in the way that we see ourselves even now. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of research that talks about where trauma freezes progress or development within our individual right. experiences. And so if we get stuck in those ways of viewing ourselves or interpreting ourselves from trauma and we don't ever get past it, we're always looking at ourselves in those and talking about ourselves to ourselves in our inner dialogue in a way that's just really self-critical. Mm. Good, because it does, like when you talk about you know, these, uh, you know, the music and then uh, the spontaneous kind of movement that comes with it and the need to kind of observe and take note and take pictures of yourself that does feel, it sounds awkward, right? And, and mm-hmm. I'm gathering that's somewhat the point, right? Yeah, I, I believe it is. So then uh, help, help us understand then, uh, that's not the Enneagram of personality, but what, what, what does this movement have to do with this nine, this figure of nine? Oh, good question. So um, people familiar with the Enneagram of personality will immediately begin to associate what I'm gonna call energies with types. And okay. that there are nine different types around the Enneagram. Uh, I think that is for the sake of an Enneagram conversation is misleading. I think it's useful in Enneagram of personality conversations. But the types themselves are really placeholders for what I believe are oscillating energies at nine different points mm. around this circle. Okay. And so the components of the Enneagram are, you know, the circle, the triangle, and what's known as the hexad, or I affectionately refer to as the knot. Um, it's this tangled, inter- intersecting crossing of different lines where the numbers or the energy types are connecting to one another and moving and exchanging these energies. And so if we start to see personalities as energies, I think there's a lot of information we can derive from that understanding. And so I would say that there are nine different energy sources, but sources even starts to blur the meaning because I believe these are really like recipes that are unique. And each energy is interacting with another energy in such a unique way at each type center that it distinguishes that energy from another energy, but really they're all conglomerates of each other. So you've mentioned a couple times in relation to Gurdjieff, uh, fourth way. Could you just describe very briefly, I know it's an entire movement, you know, but uh, if you were to give a short description about the fourth way, what would it be? Fourth way is a philosophy, fundamentally, and I would argue that every thing we think is philosophy. And so certain styles or schools of thinking are categorized into certain philosophies and given names. And then the study of philosophy as a whole is sometimes um, relegated to a, a back corner on campus of universities <laughs> and ignored. largely by other (laughs) academic institutions. Um, I don't think you can. If if you really break down and start studying yourself, you have a philosophy as the foundation of your whole Mm -hmm. existence. And Fourth Way is a philosophy that um, began with Gurdjieff's movements, um, but I wouldn't call it a movement itself, that the Enneagram movements were a component and a very small component of fourth way principles. Uh, And the reason it's called fourth way is because it integrates three different other philosophies of life and and 
pulls them all together so that we can practice them in everyday life today. And so if I remember them correctly, it's the way of the monk, the way of the fakir, and the way of the yogi. Yeah. And each of these philosophies had certain parameters that people who followed them would practice and stay within. Sure. And it would cost people something to follow these philosophies or these principles. And with the monk, you would live in isolation. You know, uh, what Gurdjieff did and Ospinsky did and taught was that all three of these practices deal with the centers in unique ways, but they can all be practiced in modern everyday life. And no one needs to change anything about the way they live in order to become a subscriber to this philosophy, if you will. Um, I would say it's also a bit more than philosophy in that it entails an awareness of the self and a study of the self that goes deeper than most philosophies would. And so it's, it, for me, it shines as a diamond um, and gives some certain guidelines and information about me that I can start to organize the way I work and the way I think and the, not just me, but the way people, the way humans think and work that there are components within us that we're largely unaware of that may be in the wrong place. Yeah. Mm. And before we move anything, we first have to know some sort of blueprint. And the only way we can get that blueprint is through self-study and self-observation. Yeah, you can't know where you're going unless you know who you are. Very simply, right? Yeah, and it, we alluded earlier to the machine or mechanical component of fourth way that everything, um, this starts to sound science-y because we're talking about stimulus and response to stimulus. Um, there's an outside force acting upon me and then a mechanical reaction to that outside force. And so if I see, hear, smell, taste, feel something, then I have certain automatic reactions to that that I may or may not even know is happening. And so in that um, school, we're talking about our behavior is learned and developed by these stimuli and that we have very little um, choice or consciousness about the development of our being and our perspectives. They just happen like plants grow. We don't really know how it happens. It just happens. Mm. Fourth way gives us some material to study how that process happens. Mm. So Kevin, how would you explain the relationship between the Enneagram and fourth way? The Enneagram is just a small component of fourth way teachings. Um, I'm not even sure it's mentioned in the book called Fourth Way, written by Ospinsky. It was compiled, as I alluded to earlier, from Gurdjieff's teachings and recorded from memory and then transcribed onto um, paper that was formulated into this book. Um, well, that that's more for resources that In Search of the Miraculous is where much of that information took place in the, and the Enneagram came from In Search of the Miraculous. Uh, with diagrams. Fourth way itself is a is a transcriptive conversational dialogue between student and teacher. And Ospinsky um, would host these classrooms or these schools and then the students would ask questions. He would then answer them, but it's more of a conversational dialogue. And so I'm not even sure that the Enneagram is mentioned in the book Fourth Way, but it is mentioned in the teachings of Gurdjieff and presented in In Search of the Miraculous, which is a phenomenal book that'll take you a long time to process. Um, if you read it quickly, you've you've read it too fast. Mm. So along those lines, where um, if if people wanted to start to begin to learn about Fourth Way, Gurdjieff, Ospensky, um, there's 
it is highly complicated, but is there is there a starting point for all of that? Both of those books that I mentioned, Fourth Way and In Search of the Miraculous, I think are simple enough for beginners to understand and deep enough for them to spend a lifetime studying. Um, again, with the conversational dialogue in Fourth Way, it it's a wonderful book because you could open it to any page and begin reading and learn something and take something away. Uh, it's organized into certain themes, but it's really just a series of questions and answers. And so conversationally, you can jump in. And if you have a question, you can start to look in the, you know, the index and, and see what question it is you want to mm. research and study and get to know. Um, and then, you know, for a consecutive understanding in search of the miraculous kind of gives a little bit of um, coherence to what we're talking about with Kurjeev Ospinsky mm. and the Enneagram. Again, it's a small component in search of the miraculous too. He, he goes into a lot of um, deeper principles that when applied to the Enneagram, informs the Enneagram in a depth that the Enneagram of personality as it's being taught today uh, falls far short of being able to include. So one more final question, Kevin. Um, What is one thing that the listener can do as soon as this podcast is over that could perhaps help them wake up to their patterns, help them wake up to the ways in which they're uh, they're reacting to their situation instead of responding. The um, the practice of fourth way and in some Gurdjieffian groups, they talk about waking up to the self and non-judgmental observation. And so, I could give an example of what that would look like: is to become aware of your laugh every time you laugh. That Ooh. you don't change your laugh; you just listen to yourself laugh mm-hmm. and see what comes up from observing your own laughter. What are you laughing at? How is it making you feel? Uh, are you ashamed of your laugh? Are you proud of it? It could be any response is an okay response. Um, but just becoming more aware of, of you and who you are as a person in your experience and the reactions that are happening within your experience of anything, particularly take a week or two weeks and listen to yourself laugh every time you laugh. And you may, you know, this is one of the things that may come up. I didn't notice when I laughed and that itself is priceless information. Yeah. yeah. You did not notice your laugh. Wow. I love that. That's so great. Kevin, thank you so much. This was Kevin, you're amazing and wonderful and 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 stinky. Going full circle. Yeah. <laughs> you're a brilliant stinker after all. Um, an, <laughs> an infinite stinker. stinker. <laughs> infinite brilliant. <laughs> that's that's a badge I'll wear with honor. <laughs> Guys, it's been a pleasure Wonderful. for me too. Thank you for the honor of coming on your show, your podcast, and talking about these things. Yes. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time. Truthwork Media Studios.